you again for this day. Thank you, Lord God, that we are called and we are set apart for your kingdom. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to transform us, to make us new creations in you. Lord, thank you that you want us to finish well, that you want us to endure to the end. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come, that you would make the word of God come alive to us. Lord, even help us, God, that even in these parts, that, that, that things that we might have heard before, help us to hear it with new ears. Lord, help us as you wrote those letters, Jesus, to the, the, those churches in Revelation. It says, let, uh, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. God, give us new ears to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, let's... Let's get to it. Um, today I'm going to begin a series. You can see it up here, the title. We're going to begin a series that uh, we're actually going to stay in for, for a while. Um, I'm going to be in this for the next uh, however long God has me here. Um, we cast the beginning of the year with that word transformation, the theme of transformation or being transformed, uh, being changed and conformed into the image of Christ. And how, you know, we talked about God's desire for us to be transformed. Um, Paul talks about that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God's desire for people is we be transformed, that we become something new. We become more like Jesus Christ. That is God's heart for his people to become like the Son of God. And also to be transform, transformation agents for those that God has called us to be around as the church. Our desire should be that we ourselves become more and more like Jesus, that areas in our lives should be transformed by his power. And as we go here, I'm, I'm asking you to really ask the Lord to, to pinpoint those areas in your lives, maybe that God is trying to conform more to the image of his son. And as you walk with him in relationship and intimacy, that he loves you deeply. And I pray that you hear that word that was given by Patty this morning, that you were bought with a price, that Jesus Christ values you deeply. And the idea of transformation is not just simply to get us to be more religious or get us to follow rules better. It is to understand his deep, incredible love for us. And that as we walk in that love, that we become more like his son. That is his desire for us. And our desire should also be that not only are we becoming transformed to be more and more like Jesus, but that we be a part of the mission of Jesus to see people come to know him. When Jesus walked the earth and we watch how he modeled it and we watch how he lived, he was, his desire was to see lives changed, lives transformed, lives that would come follow him. And, and, and it's interesting when he called the first disciples and those guys were fishermen and he presents them and he used even their, their livelihood to, to speak a lesson, to speak a parable. And he told these guys, you know, you've been, you've, you've been fishers of fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. And if you've ever fished, if you like to fish, I haven't done it much, I've done it a little bit, but if, you, if you're ever fishing, fishing is kind of a messy sport or endeavor. When you reel the fish in, and especially if you're going to eat them, you have to clean them, you have to, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, and it's pretty messy. 
And to get that fish to ready, it has to be, it has to go through a process of, of, you know, of cleaning, of scaling, of gutting, and all the gross stuff that goes with it before it makes it to the frying pan, or however you cook it, unless it's lutefisk, which stop, please, please stop. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you like lutefisk, I'm, I'm sorry for that. It just stinks. But, you know, transformation is messy. When Jesus calls us to be transformation agents, he's calling us to be a part of a very messy endeavor. And when he said to those guys, he said, I want to make you fishers of men, those guys got it because they've, they had been fishers of fish. But see, a lot of times as the church, we, we like for the fish to be nice and clean before they come in. And this is a part of where we have to be transformed as the church to begin to see things differently and to be open. Um, Nate and I were actually talking the other day, and we're, we're talking about, you know, broken lives and, and, and God's desire for people, and, and are we ready to have an influx of lost, broken, hurting, smelly fish coming into our midst? Because guess what? I was a smelly fish one day, too. And somebody loved me. Somebody accepted me. Are we ready to see that happen in our midst, to see transformation? Because if we really want transformation, we have to be open to what God is saying. One of my favorite testimonies I ever heard was, was John Wimber. Um, some of you guys know who John Wimber. He started the Vineyard Movement. He um, pastored for many years, planted churches. He's now with the Lord. Um, but when he first became a Christian, he, and he kind of shares his testimony of how he came from a very broken, very lost place. He was a rock musician. He did not grow up in the church. He didn't know anything about, I mean, he didn't really even know basic Bible stories because he was not raised to know that. Well, he and his wife had hit a, you know, just a really, really hard time in their lives. They began to seek God, you know, kind of spiritually, or, or not really seek God, but they, they were seeking spirituality and you know, looking at different things. He had looked into a couple different religions, and then he was kind of, you know, they were kind of drawn to Christianity. His wife actually became a Christian before he, before he did. She went to, a, like, a Bible study and, and accepted Christ, and he wasn't real sure about all this, and, uh, but he was interested as he was seeking. And the reason why I'm sharing the story is I want us to get a heart for this, the idea of transformation and what God's called us to do. Well, then he decides that, you know, his, his wife gets saved, she starts going to this church, so he said, I'm going to go to the church with you, we're going to take our kids, and, and, and it's, uh, of course, it, the, the testimony is hilarious of his perception of church as he walks in as a complete unbeliever, he has no grid or uh, nothing on his radar screen to, to prepare him for church. He says, all these people facing one direction, you know, they're looking, you know, and, and, and imagine, you know, and that's what I'm saying, take, sometimes take a step back and look at what we do from an outsider that doesn't have any kind of basis. It can seem very weird. And he talks about how, how strange it seemed. He said, you know, these kids, these people are going, you know, grabbing my kids and shuffling them off. And, oh, where are you taking my kids, you know? And one guy asked him, he said, brother, have you been washed in the blood yet? And he said, if they're doing that, I'm out of here. And his perception was just, you know, you can see some of the questions, some of the Christian things that we say. But these people loved him and loved his family, and he got saved at this church and accepted Christ and, 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 and began to walk with Christ. Well, 
Here he is, he said, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm now belong to Christ, and Jesus wants us to minister to others. And so here's a guy that he said, he, he said you know, I, my, my life began, you know, life, daily life began at about 10 o'clock at night, because he played in clubs. He was a keyboard player. Some of you old-timers remember the Righteous Brothers? Some of you older people, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. He actually was a keyboard player for them for a while, wrote some of their music. So he said life began about 10 o'clock and went to about 5 a.m., it was the nightclub scene. It was people that were very far from God. Well, these people were some of his dearest friends, deepest friends. And so he's accepted Christ. He feels a sense of mission. He's been transformed. They're saying, what's different about you? What happened to you? He starts inviting all these just outsiders. I mean, these people are coming into this church, and it was a relatively small church. And he said, they're outside the church, and he said, you know, they're all, you know, smoking their last cigarettes before they come in, and he said, you know, they're, you know, kind of doing their thing, and he said, cursing, and, uh, you know, they're talking, and people are coming in, you know, and this is a large group of people. And he said, I wonder what those church people were thinking about this group, and he said, here they come filing into the church. They're rough. They have no idea. They're talking. I mean, they're just, you know, they, they don't have, they don't understand all the rules that we you know, don't ever say, but we live by, you know, when we sit in the same places. <laughs> Those unspoken church rules, you know, that, uh, and, and he said, you know, these people were messing everything up, you know, they were, but they were broken, lost people needing Jesus. Well, they come in, and it, and it kind of creates a, a, a firestorm, and uh, one week, a little old lady that had been a member of that church for many, many years came up to him afterwards, and he said, with tears in her eyes, she looked up at me and said, you've ruined my church. You've ruined my church. And he said, you're right, I have. He said, but what was I supposed to do with them? Where was I supposed to bring them? You loved me. You accepted me. What did you want me to do with them? And she said this. She said, you're right. It's just hard. Change is hard. Are we ready for God to ruin our church? <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Are we ready for people to come in? I want people to come in and find Jesus. I want people to come and find out that Jesus can transform their life and that they can find him here and they can find him in our midst and they can find him in us because they can see our lives that have been transformed because we have not always been that way. We, are, we have been broken. We are broken, and we all need Christ. I want them to come in, but sometimes we want the fish cleaned. Sometimes we want them to get a little bit of the stink off of them, and I say, come in stinky. The church's theme must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. So through this time, we're going to continually look in this series, in this time, we're going to look to Jesus and we're going to look to the cross. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Here was his heart. Here was the, this cry of his gut. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I don't preach the good news. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. 
And that was his central theme is that I will walk transformed in the power of Christ and I want to see others walk there as well. He also says in, 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 in earlier in 1 Corinthians that he says the cross is the very power of God. So we're going to gaze at the cross of Christ. We're going to gaze at his love. And my heart is for us to give our lives for the sake of the gospel like never before and understand that that is why we exist as a church. We exist for the gospel. And woe to us if we're not preaching the gospel and living the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his power to change human lives and human hearts. So I want more than just inspiration. You know, we can inspire people all day, but Jesus is the one that has the power to transform a life. Our main text over this time is going to be Hebrews 12. We're going to spend a lot of time in it. This is one of my absolute favorite chapters in all the Bible. Um, I pray the first part of uh, Hebrews every day for my, my, my life, my family, my marriage. It's a pivotal chapter with life-changing principles, and I believe that God's going to speak to us through it. We're going to branch out in a lot of different directions and a lot of different themes as we go along, but we're going to land always back in Hebrews 12. The theme of this, uh, this, this book is the power to endure. Didn't Steve do a good, good job last week? That was a, just a great word, and God is really speaking to our hearts, and he said something that stuck out to me that I, as I've been studying is, many don't finish well. Many don't finish well the race, and that's so tragic. Um, the one-year Bible, today's reading, interestingly enough, is Jesus, and he's talking about the end times. And it's in Matthew 24, and he's given this, this discourse, and, and he, says, he says in the end, he says, the love of many will grow cold. But listen to this, Matthew 24, 12 and 13, the love of many will grow cold, but those who endure to the end will be saved. God wants us to endure to the end. That is his desire for us. That is his heart for us. But tragically, a lot of people don't. Some of you were here this past summer, and my brother-in-law um, took his life through um, a, a prescription drug overdose. And this is a guy who pastored Pentecostal churches and, and, uh, and, and had seen God do amazing things in his life. And he got wrapped back up into that lifestyle and lost everything, lost his family, lost the church that he was pastoring, and then eventually lost his life. And it was a heartbreaking, I can't describe to you how heartbreaking it was for our family because he did not finish well. I had a friend in the Air Force who, um, I, you know, I worked with these guys and I would talk to them about the Lord and, and, and uh, had a chance to lead this guy to Christ and he began to come to church and he was just so excited and, and, and just giving his heart to it. But in a few months, you know, the cares of this world and different things in life began to help make him spiral and he just didn't finish well. He's still alive, but he's just not walking with the Lord at all and he's broken. He lost his marriage and it's just awful. And when I see those, those stories, you can hear those stories of people that don't finish well, it, it makes my heart sick. And that's why I, I want to cue in on this. That's why I want to talk about this with such passion and fervor is because Jesus wants us to finish well. I want us to endure to the end and do what it takes to finish well. And so I'm hoping that God speaks to all of our hearts and we get some tools on how to do this. 
and, and just hear the words of Christ who he says, you know, in the end, the love of many will grow cold. Guard your heart that your love does not grow cold. That your love for Jesus stays hot. And that you love him and you receive his love and you understand the value that he has placed on your life. I encourage you over this time, read this chapter. Read Hebrews 12. Read it often. Read it in different translations. Talk about it among your, your family or your friends. Discuss it with people. Um, ask the Holy Spirit to, to open it up to you. Ask the Lord what he desires to speak to you through it. I encourage you to read this chapter. It is rich. It is a powerful, powerful chapter. And share with others what God is speaking to you through it. So I'm asking us as a church body to purposefully track along in this book, in, this, in the chapter. See what God will say. And so also throughout times, and, and, and this ties back to what Steve shared last week when Jesus, you know, pours his heart out and he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name, prophesy, do miracles in your name? And, and, and the Lord says, uh, you know, says to them, depart from me, I never knew you, that there, there is a kindness to God and there is a severity of, to God. And so we are going to be looking and beholding and considering the kindness and the severity of God. Romans eleven twenty two 22 says that we should. It says that we should consider both the kindness and the severity of God. Romans 2.4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so is, it can almost seem like, is that a contradictory statement? Absolutely not. What does it mean? His kindness and his severity. Simply, it's having a healthy reverence and fear for the Lord. Understanding that his kindness is what does lead us to repentance when we receive his love and understand that it is great kindness from God that we can't save ourselves. That is one of the greatest revelations we can have as a human being, that we cannot save ourselves. We can't be nice enough, good enough, have enough good works to get us saved. It doesn't work. That was why Jesus went to the cross. But it also says something about that sometimes his severity is his kindness. One of the themes of Hebrews 12 is his discipline, and we'll get into that later on. But his discipline, he says he disciplines those he loves, and so sometimes his severity is his kindness. And so we want to consider his, his kindness and his severity. We want to consider grace and holiness. We want to consider mercy and righteousness and to see him in those ways. And I think the greatest way for us to behold the kindness and severity of God is to look at the cross. That's why we're going to gaze at the cross, because it is the very power of God. And, and, and Paul says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the cross of Christ. But in the cross, we see his kindness and his severity. Don't ever miss the power of the cross. Don't let it just be a symbol that we hang around our necks. We need to gaze at the cross and come to the cross every day because that is where we find his kindness and his mercy, yet his severity. Because it was the kindest and most loving act that has ever been done for humanity, for you and me. But it was also the most severe. It was brutal. And it cost Jesus everything. He did it for us because we cannot save ourselves we need to look at both his kindness and severity through the cross and see intense love, yet intense severity. 
Because the one part is his deep love. And just like Patty gave that passage this morning as we were bought with a price, that is his payment for you. When you look at the cross and what Jesus endured, that's how much he values you. That's how much he loves you. But on the flip side is this, without Christ, that's what we endure. We will endure the punishment of God. When we, when we reject him, when we refuse him, and we say, I don't want you, I don't want your sacrifice, then we will endure our own judgment. But we don't have to, beholding the kindness and severity of God. As we gaze at the cross, it should bring us to humble adoration and a surrendered life. So today, we're going to actually, we're going to begin at the ending of Hebrews 12. So the end of Hebrews 12 is going to be our starting point. We're going to start at the end, just because it's kind of fun to do that. Here's the end of Hebrews 12, and this is why I want to start here. It says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When we belong to Christ, the, the, the kingdom of Christ cannot be shaken. This is what we're living for. We're living for his kingdom. It is a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom. It is a kingdom that has a king that will never die, who will rule and reign forever and ever. His name is Jesus. He is alive. He is well. He is seated on the throne of heaven. And his kingdom is a kingdom that will never end. And then the writer says, since we are living for that kingdom, since we are receiving that kingdom for those that belong to Jesus, let us be thankful. Isn't that amazing that he says that? Let us be thankful. Find what God is doing in your life. We sometimes pay attention to what we're not seeing or what God's not doing. What is God doing in your life? Be thankful. Wake up every day and thank God that you're alive. Be thankful and live lives of worship with holy fear and awe. Because our God is a consuming fire. He will burn up everything. His love is a, is a love that is, is, is a consuming fire. And his judgment is a judgment of consuming fire, the kindness and severity of God. Now that sounds great. I want to worship God that way. We want to live that way. Most of us want to live that way, but how? How do we endure to the end? You know, it's very difficult sometimes as we walk as a, as a believer. Christianity is not for the weak. You know, our former governor said that, you know, religion was for the weak-minded and those who needed a crutch. I'm like, try to be a Christian for a couple of months, see, and then come talk to me. It is not easy. We are going against the grain. We go against culture. We're going against society all the time. And it can be very hard. Interestingly enough, this letter of the Hebrews was written for Jewish Christians. They had accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And that did not come with just ease or saying, you know, well, we believe Jesus the Messiah. Aren't things great now? If you read this in the context of the way it was written, they were persecuted horribly for their faith in Christ, for following Jesus. Because of the tone of this letter, you can imagine that the tendency was to give up, to lose heart. These folks had doubts, they had struggles, they had fears and worries, they probably cried out many times, God, where are you at? We believe this. We've received Christ, but man, this is tough. 
We're being persecuted on every front, and we need you desperately. Where are you? They were under great, great pressure as being Jewish people that were now accepting Jesus as the Messiah, as the fulfilled promise. And so they were under great pressure. The theme word of this book is endure. And it's an encouragement to these Jewish believers of who Christ was and is. And if you track along and you track through the book, and I'm just going to give you some of the themes from the beginning, but the encouragement to these Jewish believers is that Jesus is God's son. He is in the place of power and authority. You need to be encouraged by that. He is who he said he was. He's greater than Moses, the lawgiver. He also gives rest for his people, Hebrews 4. Hebrews 5 gets into this whole discourse, and there are several places in Hebrews where Jesus is our great high priest. And he's, he's using this language because the Jews understood that, you know, that, that they had a high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices. And, and, and the writer here is saying, Jesus fulfilled all that. He is the great high priest. In fact, he is the great high priest who didn't just offer any lamb, but he was the great high priest who offered himself as the lamb and the once and for all sacrifice. Other themes where he is the perfect sacrifice. Without him, we cannot have forgiveness. Hebrews 9.27 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus fulfilled that to humanity. He took our sin upon himself, and he shed blood on the cross for our forgiveness. Then it leads all there into Hebrews 11, where we have him, uh, the writer talking about faith and what it means to have faith, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then he gives the hall of faith. He lists these people, you know, through faith, this person did this. Through faith, this person did this. And we, always, and we, we have names for that, like the hall of faith, those who kept their eyes on the promise, even without seeing the fulfillment of the promise. It says that at the end of Hebrews 11 was these people did not even receive the fulfillment, and the fulfillment was Christ. They didn't see his coming, yet they kept their eyes on God and believed the promise. And that was a part of their fulfillment of faith. So the writer's trying to convey that Jesus is the fulfillment of all things that you've been studying, that you've been reading, that in your Jewish schools, he is the fulfillment of all those things. It is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. He is the Messiah. Then he brings us to Hebrews 12, where he brings these readers and he's encouraging these people of how to endure. And so then we have to say, since some don't endure, why don't some endure? And we're going to be looking at some of those reasons over the next few weeks. And today we want to kind of visit the first reason, is that we lose sight of our purpose. We lose sight of our purpose in God, our God-given purpose. We forget our first love. That was one of the, the in, in, in Revelation, that was the, to the church in Ephesus. Jesus is writing these letters, and he said, you've, you've left your first love. You forgot that Christianity was about love. And at some point in the process, you made it about rules, and you made it about, uh, you know, trying to, you know, muscle through and just be good enough. He said, you forgot that it was love, and you need to come back to your first love. And that's why Jesus said that many won't endure in the end, because the love of many will grow cold. 
But we lose sight of our first and foremost purpose is that we were bought with a price. And that we, it was about love. And when we lose the sight of the purpose of that it's all about love, what we do is we, we get bitter and we get self-centered. And that's why that little old lady come, came up to John Wimber is something happened in her life that she forgot about God gloriously saving her and then she looks at John Wimber and says, you've ruined my church. She had forgotten something. She had missed something. Something had missed through the process. She should have said, thank God that these people are in the church, these broken people that need Christ so desperately. And she had got a bit self-centered and hurt Remember that it was love. So let's go to Hebrews 12.1. Spend the remainder of our time there. Just started at the beginning, yeah, that up there from the beginning, yep. Or no, just, yeah, the slideshow, yep, right there. And then just go to Hebrews 12.1, wherever that is. Perfect says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I encourage you to just chew on that passage over the next weeks and months. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the faith, let us strip aside every weight that slows down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. It's interesting that that, that, that chapter in, that begins with the word therefore. So it begins with therefore. Now, you know, the writers back in the day, they didn't write chapter numbers. And so this is a letter and, uh, you know, through times, somebody broke it, out, broke it out in thoughts, and that's where we got chapters. But this is intended to be kind of a thought from previous, um, you know, the, the, the previous thing that he said. So he says, therefore, and that, what that means is as a result of, you could be said like this, since this, then this, or since this, since this, then that, or since that, then this, however you want to say it. But as a result of what I just told you, listen to what I'm about to tell you. The context of this passage is, is a continuation of chapter 11 and the hall of faith. It is in relation to those people who endured and finished well in spite of not having seen the promise or the fulfillment of the promise. And so all these people that were just listed, by faith this person did this, by faith this person did this. Therefore, since those people did this, since then, since this, then we need to strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily tangles, and let us run with endurance. All these people. There was a fun little email that was flying around for a while, but you know, and it was listing all the people kind of in the hall of faith about their mistakes. You know, about Noah. Noah is in the hall of faith, but Noah got drunk. Abraham is in the hall of faith, but Abraham lied. Jacob is in the hall of faith, but he lied and deceived. Rahab is in the hall of faith, yet she was a prostitute. And the list goes on and on. 
You know, I've always looked at this passage as it says that since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, I've looked at that and I said, who, who are those witnesses? And I've always thought it was witnesses of that maybe the people have gone before us, maybe they get to element of watching us and cheering us on. Maybe that's a part of it. I don't know what people in heaven get to see. And maybe there's times, maybe they get glimpses to cheer us on. But I think it may be more speaking to the witnesses to the life of faith. It's saying, here's this hall of faith. Therefore, since these people did what God called them to do and they walked in faith, look at their lives and be encouraged to the life of faith. Therefore, knowing that you can do it too. They did it. So can you. If God's grace was big enough and good enough for them, then it's good enough for us. You see, you see what he, he is saying? Therefore, since Abraham was a liar and God used him and he kept his eyes on God, God can use you too. You don't, you're not determined by your past. Because today you can grab hold of the mercies of God. That is his kindness. To say that God can use my life and God can change things. He can transform me to make me more like his son. If they did it, so can you. If Jacob the deceiver and liar can do it, so can we. If Rahab the prostitute can do it, so can we. They are a point of reference for us. This is one of the many reasons why we need the Word of God to look at these lives of faith, not people that had it all figured out, but they are witnessing to us about faithfulness in the midst of brokenness. That we can do it. Not perfect lives, but imperfect lives of people that kept their eyes on God and said, I'm going to follow you no matter what, and I'm not going to let my past define me. They are points of reference for us. That's why we need the Word of God. When you're feeling discouraged, get in the Word. Read about people that have gone through unbelievable things. And they kept their eyes on God. Also, point of references can be looking at people that started well and didn't finish well. We have stories of that in the Bible to say, God, help me to finish well. Help me to have that fear of the Lord, that healthy fear of the Lord, because I want to finish well. Because there were some really, really godly people that started out wonderfully and they finished horribly. And there are also stories of people that did some horrible things and they finished well. They are points of reference. They are encouragement to us, to the life of faith. Get in the Word of God and have those points of reference to read. You know, a great point of reference for me uh, outside of, of my scripture is, is my family. I've shared my testimony before about what God brought me through, but I, I struggled with lust years ago, and, and it, was, it was a trap for my life. And I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, I'll never struggle with that again. Yeah, right. We're weak, and we need Jesus. But you know what's on my computer screen is my family. I want to look at them every day, right before I get on the computer, just to say, this is, this is a point of reference for me, to keep things straight. Now look at my family my wife and my children, and say, you know what? My sin does not just affect me. It affects so many others. Next week, we're going to be talking about what we do with sin. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be good. 
but points of reference, looking at Scripture, saying, God, help me to look at these lives and understand that I'm going to behold his kindness and his severity, that through the mercy and the grace of Jesus, I can finish well. But if, if, I, if I try to do and live life on my own, I'm not going to finish well. Look at both. But look at these cloud of witnesses of the faith and understand that if they can do it, you can too. And through this walk, again, is don't, allow, uh, don't allow yourself to go to the extremes of, of pride or condemnation. You know, that's what the enemy tries to get us to run into is pride is, you know, self-sufficiency and look how awesome I am and look at me, 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 and it's kind of self-centeredness and look how great I am and look at all the giftings that I have. And then the other side is, you know, I'm condemnation, shame, and, and I'm nothing and I'm worthless. And the, the problem is both sides are no good. We need to behold his kindness and his severity to help us to walk with him. In both, we have to look to Jesus. When you feel yourself drawn to pride, look to Jesus. If you feel yourself going into shame, look to Jesus. He is our reason and our purpose for living. Look at the cross. Gaze at the cross. Don't miss the power of the cross. And see the kindness and the severity of God. Understanding that it was our sin that nailed him there. The big sins as well as the little sins. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes we categorize, it, it, we, we pick the sins that we don't struggle with as the bad ones. They're all bad. They all nailed Jesus to the cross. My sin nailed him to the cross. Yet it was his payment that revealed the value that he places on us and he purchased our freedom. There's a story in Luke 18. Um, about, and Jesus is saying that there's these two men that go into the temple to pray. One's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. And as we know, Jesus did not have kind words to the Pharisees. He called them out. They were the religious, and he nailed them to the wall on every turn because they, they looked the part, they dressed the part, they acted the part, yet their hearts were very far from God. And he says these two men went into the temple to pray, and then the Pharisees' prayer was this, God, thank you that I fast and I give to the poor. And he's basically saying, look how awesome I am. Thank you, God, that I'm awesome, is basically his prayer. That's, that's kind of my version of it. Thank you, God, that I'm awesome. And then he even says, and I'm not like that guy. If you're wondering, that's a problem? <laughs> that's, not, that's not good. I'm great. God, thank you that I'm great. See how great I am. And thank you that I'm not like this guy. And it says the other guy, this tax collector, just looked up to God and he just beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, the other man, that tax collector, went away justified. In other words, God did not hear the prayer of that Pharisee. He did not even listen to it. It was, it was stench to God. And that's why when we gaze at the cross and the love of God and the love of Jesus that he has for us, it should bring us to humble adoration. Jesus, you are so good. Have mercy on me. We need to look to the cloud of witnesses and be reminded that they did it. And so can we through the power of Jesus Christ. And let me bring us back to where I began in closing that Jesus said this, and we need to get this in our hearts and our spirits today. 
Matthew 24, 13. Jesus is talking about the end, and he said, in the end, the love of many will grow cold. Let me ask you something today. How's your love? How's your love with Jesus? Have you forgotten that it was love? Have you got into trying to obey rules? Have you tried to just, have you gotten into where you're just trying to be nice enough and good enough? How's your love today for Christ? Do you understand his love? Do you love him back? Because Jesus said, be careful, the love of many will grow cold. He makes a definitive statement. How's your love today for Jesus? But then he goes on to say, those who endure to the end will be saved. I want to be saved. I want to be saved through the love of Jesus, and I want to endure to the end. Don't give up. Don't get weary. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Receive his love today. Understand that it was out of great, intense love for you that he went to the cross. Behold his kindness, yet behold his severity. Walk in the fear of the Lord and understand that when you do things your way, you will not end well. When you do things his way, you will end well. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Let's pray.